Good morning, everyone. It's a, a privilege to be able to be with you again uh, this Sunday. Um, as mentioned earlier, Karen and I are, are heading to South Africa uh, next Sunday, God willing. We'll be leaving in the evening, so we will be here in the morning, God willing, and then, uh, and then we'll take off in the evening. And uh, we'd appreciate your prayers. We're, we're going through a pretty dangerous area. We're flying to Dubai, and uh, some of you are aware of the news that just happened recently. I went on the map and just looked at where those two containers were were destroyed and the drone was was knocked down. It's just off the coast of uh, United Arab Emirates. That's where we're flying into. So um, we'd appreciate your prayers as we head into this uh, zone and then uh, and then down to South Africa. We we anticipate being there for six months, and uh, it could be longer, but uh, we won't know that until August. That's when some news will be made available to us where we can make a decision then about the future. So we do really appreciate your your prayers on, on, on that regard. But Karen and I also want to really make known to the believers here how much we appreciate your fellowship. Um, we just really feel at home here. We feel like you've accepted us and made us your friends. And uh, it's just been a real pr- privilege to be here. And, and we look forward to days ahead when we can come back and spend more time with you. So thank you very much. It's been a really great time. Now this morning, we're going to be looking at John chapter 10, and we're going to continue with a study on on John, but we're going to be looking at something a little different. We're going to look at John chapter 10 today, and um, now there's lots of verses in there, and I've selected a number of verses for us to read just to sort of get the gist of the the chapter, and then, uh, well, we'll see how it comes together after that. So... John chapter 10, and I've got the, the text up front. These are the verses that we're going to be reading. So it is from the King James. If you prefer something a little bit more modern, you'll have to look in your own Bible. So John chapter 10, verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers." This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not for uh, the thief cometh, but for to steal, and to sorry the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, 
and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now we're just going to jump ahead to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now we trust that God will bless the reading of his word that we have participated in just this morning. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a visual sort of guy, so when I look at a story like this, I, a picture to me really helps. So I've put a picture up here now just for you can see a little bit of what we're talking about in the illustration that the Lord used uh, in John chapter 10. Now, this is a picture of a Middle Eastern um, uh, prowl. Uh, they call it a sheepfold. Now, here in, in this part of the world, you don't see these things very often. But in Africa, where we lived, uh, these are all over the place. And it doesn't matter if you're in a big city. They still have an area where they have the, the kraal. And, um, and normally they're, they're built, in Africa at least, they're not necessarily built out of stones, but they made them out of acacia bushes. And um, dead branches of acacia tree. And they would make an enclosure with these branches all the way around. And they were very hard. You couldn't get through them. Nothing would ever venture getting through them because of the, the sharp thorns. And then, so what would happen is in the evening, the, the farmer would bring in his livestock and they would go into the crown and they would be safe in the, in the, in the crown. But in the Middle East, things were a little bit unique in one sense that the shepherd quite often in the evening, would lie down at the entrance. There's only one door into this kraal, and he would lie right at the door. So nothing could come in or go out that he didn't permit to happen. And so, in effect, when the Lord Jesus said, I am the door, this is really what was in mind here. He was actually the door. So, as I went through the passage, when, when, when uh, Brother Jamel asked me to take this particular passage, I, I read it the very first time. And right away, when I looked at it, there were seven things that popped out of my mind, popped into my mind from the passage. And so I'm not going to go verse by verse or anything like that, but there are seven things that just popped out to me that I want to talk to you about. And the first thing is about, when we're talking about the Good Shepherd, is his purpose. The second thing is his motive. The third thing is his person. The fourth thing would be his sacrifice. And then the fifth thing I was thinking of, his sheep. And the sixth thing I was thinking of, his voice. And the seventh thing uh, that we're going to end up with is his promise. And um, so I'm not sure if we're going to be able to get through all those uh, today, but but we're going to we're going to try and go through some of them anyway. So, anyways, the first thing I want us to notice this morning is his purpose. And we find that in John chapter, John chapter 10, verse 10. And he says, I am come uh, 
I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That is the reason, that is the purpose why the Lord Jesus entered into this world. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now that presupposes right at the very beginning that there was a problem. People needed life. People needed life abundantly. There was an absence of life. And when God looked down from heaven and saw humanity, he realized that there was a great human need. They needed life. You see, right from the very beginning, when God gave Adam that special um, uh, rule in the garden, remember he said that? Look, there's lots of trees here. Enjoy yourself. There's fruit, an abundance. You can eat anything you want except one little tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and, the, and the Lord said this. The day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Now, those of you who studied your Bibles and read in Genesis chapter 6, you'll wonder that that was a promise given, and yet Adam and Eve didn't die, at least physically. They carried on and lived for many years afterwards. But when God said, the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, he meant what he said. And what actually happened back then in Genesis is Adam and Eve died spiritually that very moment that they disobeyed God. And every single child that was born to Adam's race after that day was born into this world physically alive, but spiritually dead. Now this morning... We have a variety of people in our audience this morning. And I want you just to examine yourself in the light of God's presence today. Am I spiritually alive? Do I know him? Am I part of this? Or is this all strange nonsense to me? Is this strange business to me? You know, my, my son the other day, is um, he's doing something he shouldn't do. He's dating a girl who's not a believer. But that's okay. The Lord has his will. I, I, he has his ways. And, and the interesting thing, the other day, he invited her to come over to um, um, Jessica and Mike's place. And we had, I forget what we had, some sort of a to-do there. And, um, and, and Luke and Lana started to talk about how they got saved and the story behind how they got saved. And, and this young woman, who's a Jewish girl who knows absolutely nothing about this, on the way home, Andrew told me, he says, you know what she said to me on the way home? She says, what is sin? What is sin? That's what she was wondering. What is sin? And what's this thing about being born again? Are you born again? That's what she said to him. And he says, yes, I'm born again. And he wanted to bring her. He wants to see her saved. And so today we're asking the question, are you right with God? Has, has that been, you know, the, he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. I, I, I remember at Easter time, I told you how I got saved. And I gave you a little testimony of how I, how I trusted the Lord. And you remember that I came from an unsaved background. My mom and dad were divorced. I got in all sorts of trouble with the law. And my mom couldn't handle me anymore. So she sent me over to live with my dad. And, and you know, um, I got saved. And I started preaching and telling my dad he needed to get saved. And 
the whole story about him, he was living with a, a girl, uh, a woman, and it wasn't his wife, and, and he wanted me to be excited about this, and I said, I can't be, Dad. You're, 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 the woman you should be with is my mother, and she's over there, and you're here with another woman. And you know what he did when a young man preaches and talks like that? Well, you get kicked out, and that's what happened. I got kicked out, 17 years of age. Now, I moved away out to Vancouver, and I wanted to see my dad saved. And I preached and prayed and preached and prayed, and you know what? I finally gave up. I saw my mom saved. And about six years later, my dad phoned us. I was on our way. Karen and I were on our way to the Breaking the Bread meeting. It was a Sunday morning. We were, just walk- we were close to the hall at the chapel, and we were-, we were just walking. And I got a phone call from my dad. He now had remarried, and he said, Sid, I've got good news for you. I says, well, what happened? you win the lottery? He goes, uh, he says, no, we're happy. You're happy? What do you mean you're happy? He says, we've trusted the Lord. I'm on my way to heaven. And I thought, no, I don't believe this. Tell me the story. What happened? Well, you know, my dad... Is, is from Germany. As a young man, he grew up when Hitler was on the rise. And like most of Germans, they were taken up with this charismatic figure. My dad joined the army, and it was in World War II. And uh, he was engaged to a Jewish girl. Now, that didn't work out very well, did it? I mean, he's in the German army, and he's engaged to a Jewish girl. It came a point where Germany invaded Russia and my dad was captured and he was put in a Russian concentration camp. And many of his colleagues, his buddies, had died around him. And he remembered one time, and he told me this, he says, I remember one day I lay on my bunk crying out to God that if you're there, get me out of this place. Get me out of here and I'll give my life to you. And you know what? God delivered him. He got out of the prison camp and he found that his fiancée had died of leukemia. He went to Holland and he met a lovely woman by the name of Anna. And that was my mother. Now, at that time, a German and a Dutchman getting together was absolutely taboo because of the bad rapport that Germans had in Europe. And so they, they emigrated to Canada. And my dad was a barber, and he was also a musician, and he lived his life. He had four children, and he went on with living there and never, ever gave his life to the Lord. He went to what many Germans go to, the Lutheran church. He went there occasionally. And I remember him dragging us there. We didn't like it at all, but he dragged us there. And, and one day he said, Dad, he said to us, he said, you know what? That church is full of hypocrites. We're not going there anymore. And I said, praise God, I agree with you. <laughs> I didn't want to go anyways. And he lived his life away from God, never fulfilling his promise that he made to God. God delivered him. And he lived his whole life. And now all of a sudden... Some of his children get saved. First, it's his oldest son, my brother. Then my 
my sister, she got saved. Then myself, I got saved. And I was the big vocal one living with him. And, and then he kicked me out. And you, and you know what happened? I asked him, what happened? How did you get saved? He said, well, I had three surgeries, small surgeries that had been planned for me in the hospital. And I, I was in the hospital and I was, uh, the room that I was in, I was sharing with another gentleman. He was in his bed on the other side of the room. And he said, you know what? That man was going into for uh, surgery. And he had a Bible on his bedside table. And before the surgery, the guy would read his Bible. He'd be praying and read his Bible. He'd be praying. And my dad thought, oh, he's one of those evangelical guys like my son. He's some fanatic. He's a, he's a Christian, you know. And... Um, and then the man went into his surgery, and when he came back into the room for days after, the Bible just seemed to sat, sit there on the bedside table. And my dad thought to himself, hmm, what a hypocrite. When he needs God, he cries out to God, and when he doesn't need God anymore, he leaves him on the shelf. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God just took the very same words that he prayed 50 years earlier in a Russian concentration camp. And and God brought it back to his own heart and said, you're worse than him. I delivered you. And look what you've done with your life. You've never... And you know what? A Christian barber came into the hospital to visit him. And he led him to the Lord. And that is the the precipice to to the phone call. You see... I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Has your life ever been changed by Christ? Lives need changing. Let's look at the second thing, his motives. You see, when Jesus talked about this this good shepherd, he also talked about a hireling. Now, the hireling was a guy who was hired, paid money, to do the work of a shepherd. He wasn't a real shepherd because they weren't his own sheep. He didn't pay anything for them. They didn't belong to him. And that's why Jesus said, the hireling who's the sheep are not. They don't belong to him. And when he sees a wolf coming, what happens? He's gone. He's out of the picture. He checks out because he was only there for the money. He wasn't going to risk his life for these dumb sheep. But the Lord Jesus, he was a good shepherd. And he wasn't motivated by money. He did it because he loved the sheep. They belonged to him. He paid the price for them. And they belonged to him. And this morning we can rejoice in the idea and the understanding that there was a great price paid for you and for my salvation. Now the thing is, have we become, have we come into the good of that? And that's what a meeting like this is all about, is understanding how you and I can be made right with God and go on and serve him and live for him. So not for money. He paid for them. They belonged to him. Then I was thinking of his person. And we have this expression here in, um, in, in the passage. the very last verse we read. I and my father are one. You see... You can be wrong about a lot of things, but if you're wrong on the fact that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh, you're wrong enough to go to hell. We were at the Broadwalk, Hollywood Broadwalk yesterday, and we just walked along the 
the, the, the little strip there for a little while. And there were these two nice ladies standing at their stand. You know what I'm talking about, eh? The watchtower people. Nice people. But wrong. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is God's son. They don't believe that he's God manifest in the flesh. They say he's the son of God, but that doesn't mean anything. Well, it does mean a whole lot. Because if you read through the passage, when Jesus said that I and the Father are one, you know what happened? The Jews took great exception to that. That was blasphemy. Because how can you, being a man, make yourself God? When really he was God making himself man. God became a man. He was absolutely uh, unique in his... He was divine. That's who he was, who he is. I and my Father are one. And then as we go through the, the passage, I was thinking of his sacrifice. He says here, I lay down my, my life for the sheep. I lay it down. Um, the Lord hath, you know, I was thinking of um, Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, this was mentioned earlier this morning at the breaking of bread, but let me just read this verse to you here. Um, All we like sheep have gone astray. Isaiah 53 verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned everyone on his own way. And the Lord, and this is it. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, I don't know if you have uh, got a grasp of that. But I want you to understand that the Lord Jesus was absolutely holy in his life. There wasn't one sin. There wasn't one word he had to retract. There wasn't one action that he had to ask for forgiveness for. And you know what's amazing more than that? There wasn't one evil thought that ever crossed through his mind. He was absolutely holy. He was absolutely perfect. He was the only one that walked the scene of earth where a voice from God came down. This is my beloved son in whom I find all my delight. There was no one like him. He was absolutely perfect. But even though he was absolutely perfect, he made a tremendous sacrifice for you and for me. And it wasn't just the fact that he got beat up by Roman soldiers and executed on the cross. That, as bad as it was, that did not save you and me. That's not it alone. Because what took place there is in Isaiah chapter 53, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, when I first was given a Bible, I was told to read the Gospel of John. You see, the writer of John was a man who used very simple language. Even the Greek language that he was written in was Koinonia Greek. It was the simplest Greek. And when that is translated into English, it comes out very clear and simple. And if you are just a young believer today, or maybe not a Christian today, and you want to find out more about it, I would encourage you to read the Gospel of John. And not only is it um, uh, simple and clear, it is also black and white. There's no question here when John talks about things, what side of the fence you are on. 
For example, John chapter 3 verse 36 says, He that believes on the Son has everlasting life, no questions. And he who doesn't believe on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. What side of the fence are you on? It's simple, isn't it? And John presents the gospel truth in very simple terms, black and white. Do you believe him? Do you trust in him? You're saved. If you don't, you're lost. That's simple. Now, when it comes to this sacrifice that the Lord Jesus made, I want us just to try and understand that this absolutely holy, sinless person was hanging on the cross. That was bad enough. But the fact is this, that God began to deal with his own son for your sins and for my sins. All of the sins of humanity were heaped upon the person of the Lord Jesus on the cross. And God made him accountable for your sins and for my sins. God punished him for your sins and my sins. That was, God had to do that in order for him to be just, in order to uh, offer free salvation to you and I. You see, God has certain laws that have to be met. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's a, that's a law in the Bible. And when souls sin, they need to pay for it. And if you can't pay for it, what happens? Well, there's only one person who can. That's the person of the Lord Jesus. And he laid on, he died on the cross and he was made the sin bearer. He took upon your burden. He took upon my sins. And as a result of that, now God can come out to you and I today. Knowing that the justice requirements of the law have been satisfied. He is not compromising his holiness. He can come out to you and I who are sinners and we can, he can offer salvation to you and to me. Why? Because the righteous requirements of the law have been met in the sacrificial work of the Lord Jesus. He did the job. Christ paid a debt I could not pay. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid it. He paid it for you and for me. The very first time I heard that, I remember I was, I was, I just trusted the Lord. And when I began to understand that Jesus died for my sins, I felt very sad that he had to do that. But I also felt very happy because had he not done that, there would be no hope for me today. So his sacrifice, I lay it down. And I was thinking of his sheep. The, the verse I, that we read, all we like sheep have gone astray. You see, the nature of a sheep is that it strays. And you and I, in our unsaved days, we strayed away from God. And just like these sheep, they strayed all over the place. A couple of weeks ago, we were invited over to... Um, my son's new boss. And uh, one of his employees from, is it Bermuda or Barbados or whatever? Anyways, one of the islands. He was over in, in um, Boynton Beach as well. So he came over. Now this man had been raised in a, um, uh, a Christian church, I think. He, his mother apparently goes to church like seven days a week. And she's 
just full of church. That's her. And this kid was raised in that. And, uh, and so now we were introduced to him as somebody like his mother. Because we go to church all the time. And um, he was telling me, we were just sitting at the table, he was saying, you know, uh, I'm a Christian, uh, but, you know, I'm trying other things too, you know. I'm trying, you know, I'm looking at Muslims and looking at all the other things. And, and I thought, oh boy, we got problems here. So I thought, let me just go cut to the chase here. And um, I asked him, you know, my, my question that normally puts people where they are. And my question was this, and, and you probably use this as well. It's the, you know, what if we both die sort of thing. What if we both died, I said to him. And both of us are standing at the gate of heaven. And God asked us, why should I let you into heaven? I said, how would you answer that question? I asked him that. How would you answer that question? And right away he says, because of my righteous life. Because of my righteous life. And you know what? I said to him, I says, if I showed you a verse from the Bible that showed you that you were wrong, would you believe that? He says, yeah, where is it? So I gave him Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, and Romans chapter 6, verse 23, you know, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith. I really built it up, you know, so you're depending on your own works to get you to heaven. Yes, I am. And okay, well, read those verses. And uh, I'm still waiting to find out what's going to come from that. But, but, but here was a man who is just like everybody else in the world. He's no different than Muslims. He's no different than most of the Christians. He's no different than most of the Hindus or any other religion or anybody else. There's only two. And it's this way. Most people think that I'm going to get to heaven on my own merits for what I have done. I've earned it. I've worked for it. The Catholic Church is just like that. The Mormons are like that. JWs are like that. It doesn't matter. You can talk to them all. And you'll find that. It is only evangelical believers that have a different perspective. It's not what I have done that's going to merit salvation. It's only what Christ has done. What Christ has done on the cross, that's what my salvation is dependent on. And it is given to me not as a reward, but as a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So his sheep have gone astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. I want to talk a little bit about his voice. Um, There was a very unique situation, especially with the Middle Eastern shepherd and the sheep. There was a real relationship that was developed between them. And the sheep, we read through this passage oftentimes, that the sheep hear his voice. They recognized his voice, those that were his sheep, those that belonged to him. And I was thinking of um, different uh, stories in our Bible. Um, for instance, remember Mary? She came to the tomb. And she wanted to see her Lord and they, she found the tomb was empty and she couldn't find him. And the Lord was there, but he disguised himself as the gardener. And she carried on a conversation with him. If they only tell me where he is, I'll take him, I'll help, and I, I want to carry him, I want to, I want to be with him. And, and finally, you know what? You know why she recognized him? 
he finally just said, Mary. And right away, Rabboni, master. She understood. She knew his voice. She knew his voice. And those that are his sheep, those that belong to him, they know his voice. You can hear his voice. He speaks to us. He, tell, he speaks to us from his word. He speaks to us through fellow believers. He speaks to us through circumstances. And we hear his voice. We can hear it. Remember John? You see, some of us who are believers hear his voice. But then there are other believers who are more familiar with his voice than we are. I was thinking of John. Remember John chapter... uh, It was the last chapter of John, I think. Yeah. And Peter and John were in the boat. And the Lord was on the shore. He'd made breakfast for them. And he hollers out to the fishermen out in the sea. He says, have you got any food? Did you catch anything? He says, no. And you know one who recognized who it was first? It wasn't Peter. John. He says, it's the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard it was the Lord, he took off his his fisherman's coat, jumped in the water and headed for the shore. You see, but who was it that recognized his voice? It was John. And oftentimes in the Gospel of John, you read about the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, it's not that Jesus loved that disciple more than any others. It meant this, that John enjoyed the love of Jesus. He spent time in the presence of the Lord. You know, when uh, at, the, um, at the, um, the Lord's Supper, at the institution of the Lord's Supper, you remember that um, there was a Lord at the table. And, uh, you know, if you look at some of the, the pictures that are painted, they say, well, Peter was on this side and John was on the other side. That's what they say. Well, I don't agree with that. I believe John was there because he laid on Jesus' breast, on his, on his chest, and, and he spoke to him, and, and they just communed. One to, he was right beside him. But Peter wasn't there. I know the other guy was probably Judas. That's just another story in its own. But, but John recognized the voice of the Lord in difficult circumstances. Why? Because he spent time with the Lord. He spent time on the, in the presence of the Lord. And that's how he got to know the Lord Jesus in a very way. So uh, Mary and John recognized his voice. And uh, I was just thinking about this as well, sheep at the well. Now, um, we, in, in Africa, what happens is, when in, the, in the villages, they have these wells that they've dug. They're communal wells. And um, at the well... All the different farmers will come with their goats and their sheep and their cattle. And they all come to the same well. And uh, in Setswana, we have a word for it. It's called takatakanya, which is mean absolute confusion. There's animals everywhere, farmers everywhere. Nobody seems to know what's going on. It's absolute mass confusion. Now, that also took place in Israel. That also took place in Palestine. Now, the sheep had a way of recognizing the voice of the shepherd. They knew his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They would follow him. And so what would take place in the midst of this uh, cacophony of, of noise and animals and, and, and what would, and the time came for the shepherd 
to lead his sheep into the green pastures, you know what he would do? How would you separate all those sheep from all the others? How would he do it? It was very simple. He started to sing. He started to talk to them. He started to make his voice known. And the sheep heard his voice. And they followed him. That's what happened. And, and these sheep, as the shepherd went away and started to sing, the rest of the sheep that belonged to him would follow him and, take, and, and head off into the pasture. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Now, that's a good question. That's really a test whether you are his sheep or not. When you examine your life before the Lord... Do you follow him? Or do you follow other things? Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Now, maybe there's a Christian here today and you do follow him, and, but you think, Well, I don't follow him as enough as I should. I fail. And I understand that. We all do that. But what we're saying here is the bent of your life going in the direction of wanting to follow the Lord. That we're not asking you to be sinlessly perfect. That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying here is my life heading in that direction. I want to follow him. Is the bent of my life going in that direction. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I want to talk just briefly at the end of our message this morning is I want to talk about his promise. This is one of the most precious promises a child of God could ever hold on to. Have you ever had the doubts? Have you ever gone through Doubting Castle? Have you ever wondered, did I really believe enough? Have I trusted him really or... Is, is, is there some fault in my faith? Have I really got it? And, and, and maybe there's someone here today, maybe a young Christian, that's usually where that, that fall into these traps, is, is you're not absolutely sure you're saved. Because as you look on your life, you can see faults, you see failures, and, 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 and you're not really sure if you if you're really belong to him. And you're not really sure you have eternal life. And I want to close this meeting this morning with this promise. He said this in verse 28. He said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And this is the promise. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Now, the word never there in the original is a double negative. In other words, it goes like this. They shall never, no, never perish. Absolutely secure. Now, if you have any doubts in your head, the Lord Jesus gave a little illustration. He says, um, let me just read it here if I can get the whole thing nicely. Um, I give unto them eternal life. They shall neither, they shall never perish. Then he says this, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I want you to think of this uh, blistex here as a little, a little Christian. And this little Christian's not sure if, if they're holding on tight enough to their faith. Am I going to last 
the whole time. I've doubted it. I'm, I'm, I'm going through doubts. I'm not really sure at times. And I want to know for sure. And I've met believers like that and they lost their joy. How can you be happy and joyful if you don't know whether you're saved or not? You're just hoping you are. How could you possibly be happy? You can't be until you get the full assurance of your salvation that you can say like, like John said, these things I have written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. It's something that we can possess and have absolute assurance that we are on a road to heaven. It's not boasting because it doesn't depend on my own righteousness. It doesn't. It depends on God's Son. And he said this, Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now that's good enough for me. But just in case you're still doubting, he says this. He says this. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man shall be able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now who's going to get out of that? You see, someone who has trusted Christ who's not dependent on their own righteous deeds, but is trusting fully in the in the finished work of Christ at Calvary, Jesus said this, if you've done that, you're in my hand, and that's safe enough. And if there's still doubts, my Father who's greater than all, you're in his hand too. This morning I want you just to consider that. There's nothing more miserable than a Christian who's doubting his salvation. And there's no need for it. The word of God is filled with absolute assurances that if you know Christ as as your Savior, you are saved and saved forever. Never to lose your salvation. Never again. You see, when Jesus died for your sins, I want to ask you, how many did he die for? Absolutely all of them. Not just the ones of the past or of the present, but the ones I'm going to commit tomorrow. They're all been washed and cleansed by the blood of Christ. And when God looks down from heaven today and he looks at, at poor little Sid Hall's band, he doesn't see me in my sins, thank God. He sees me cleansed by the blood of Christ. He sees me as someone who is absolutely holy and pure. Not that I am in myself, I'm not. But he sees me in Christ. And that's good enough for me. May God bless you this morning. Thank you for your attention. And we trust that this little word will encourage you and give you assurance of your salvation. Let's pray. Father, we humbly bow in your presence this morning just to thank you again for the privilege of being your children. We're thankful, Father, for the good shepherd that gave his life for us. We know that he's not only good enough to give his life for us, but he keeps us. He preserves us. And, Lord, he guides us. And, Father, we just look to you for your blessing today. We think of those that are in our audience this morning. We just pray for them. At whatever stage they are in their Christian experience, Lord, that you'll strengthen them, draw them closer to you, and grant that the Lord Jesus would be honored and glorified today as we pray in his precious name. Amen.